Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey y'all, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie, and Listen, I just got to say it because it is what it is. Today's my birthday and I am not like this huge birthday lover, but it is my birthday and there's a show out today and I really love this show, the guests on the show, and it's fun that it's my birthday. Also, Sunday is Mother's Day and so it's fun to celebrate my mom uh, around this time of my birthday. And then you guys, Monday is the happy hour birthday. The happy hour is turning eight years old on Monday. Yes, eight years ago. I sat down and I spoke into my headphones that were on my, uh, it came with my iPhone and I recorded a podcast with my best friend, Amy. We've been best friends since uh, ninth grade and we just chatted and then I somehow edited it and I somehow got it on the internet and the happy hour Jamie Ivy was born in 2014. Uh, for those of you that have been around since then, there are some of you that have been around since then and I just want to say, golly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, for those of you that are new, welcome. You are always welcome here. And for those of you that just kind of come in and out, you're always welcome here. I'm really glad. I think that we create really great content here at the happy hour. I'm super excited about these four shows that we're in the middle of right now. It's foster care month, the month of May. And we decided to do some shows that focus just on that. And so on Wednesday, you heard from Jamie Finn, who runs the organization Foster the Family. And we had a great conversation. Well, today, my friend Tori Hope Peterson sits down with me and she also came into the studio and she is a, a new author. She has a book. Her very first book comes out in August called Fostered, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's very memoir-esque. It's her telling her story of growing up in the foster care system. If you've ever wondered anything about the foster care system and what it's like, she's giving a firsthand experience to what it was like for her and her journey. And she sat down in the studio and we had a very vulnerable, honest conversation of what that looked like. She is spunky. She's young. You're going to love her. She's on the show today. And then next week, I'll tell you again, we have Patoya Hall, who is a foster and adopted mom. And then Whitney Fur, who is a birth mom who placed her son for adoption about nine years ago. You guys, like I've told you, uh, the happy hour's birthday is on Monday, the night. And so we have a big announcement on the night, like a huge announcement on the night. And so make sure you're a part of our newsletter. Go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter to make sure that you're signed up so that you get the announcement on Monday. And the newsletter is fun because we send out two newsletters a week, uh, one for the Wednesday show and just tells you who's on the show. And then one on Friday, which tells you who's on the show, plus five fun things I think you're going to want to know. It's a lot of fun. So make sure you're subscribed. Go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter. Tori, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> this is exciting. Okay, so full disclosure, it's April 5th. Uh, you're down here in Texas. It is our, let me see, look at my watch. It's 91 degrees. We're supposed to hit our highest day of the year so far on April 5th. Uh, you're from Minnesota and you told me it was 30 degrees where you live. Yes, I felt like I stepped into heaven when I got off the plane. I think that 30 degrees in April, uh, that's a cruel joke on humankind, <laughs> on humanity. I'm so sorry. That's Minnesota. But you know what? Down here in July, we'll be wanting to come visit you. Am I right? It is really, Minnesota has very beautiful summers, but it doesn't compensate for the 11 month winter. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I've told the story in here before. Uh, Aaron and I, I mean, 
before we had kids years ago, went up to visit a church that we were potentially going to work at in Minnesota in November. And it was so cold. And they're like, oh, this is like, this is fall. That's why you didn't move there, right? Yeah. The, I'm so glad yes. you made that decision I know, for yourself. my life would be so different. But welcome so to Texas. Wise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, listeners know we are in the middle of a four-part series uh, about foster care. Last week, last Wednesday, Jamie Finn was on from Foster the Family. Great conversation. Uh, today is Friday. It's actually my birthday. I just had to say it. Today, Happy birthday. Thank you. Today's my birthday. Uh, next week, Patoya Hall is coming on, and she is an adoptive mama from a little girl from the foster system. And then after that, we have a friend named Whitney who birth mom placed her baby for adoption nine years ago. And today we have you. And you have a book coming out in August called Fostered. And I'm going to be real honest, and I think I've said this in a handful of these episodes, talking about adoption and foster care on the happy hour, I'm a fan of it, but it sometimes makes me super nervous. It's complicated. It's complicated. So There's complex. nuance. There's people's stories involved. Sometimes people want me to tell my kids stories. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But I started you. following you on Instagram, and I can't stop learning more about you. And so... Today, we're going to talk about your story, and you grew up, in fact, I think I wrote down the number, you spent 1,544 days in foster care. The second time. The second time. The first time, I suppose, I don't I don't know how many days it was, because, you know, when you're four, you don't really have a concept for time. But when I went into the foster care system when I was an adolescent, that's how many days I was in the system. And did I read right? I told you when you got here that I had been devouring your book, but I have four <laughs> chapters left. So I feel like there's like the four chapters, you know, and you're like... You have like your TV cuts off and you don't see the rest of the movie or something happens at the movie theater and they're like, sorry, folks, we're going to give you your refund and you miss the whole end. That's how I feel sitting right here. Yeah, next I to you. feel really bad because that's definitely you have not gotten to the good part. <laughs> well, I've just been devouring this book in the bath. And let me tell you, I, I'm going to have to show everyone if you're watching on YouTube, maybe you'll see this. This is the book that I had. It's literally printed sheets of paper. And so I think come a, a couple of them have fallen into the bath. But I have I have really enjoyed it. And I want to be honest with you, Tori, I haven't just enjoyed this because it's a great story. Because that feels real weird to say because it's a horrific, it's a horrific story. But it's your story. Like, this is your life that I'm reading about. One of the things I've enjoyed so much is your wisdom in the way you shared parts of your story, the way that you brought us into the real hard complexities of what happened, trying as hard as you could to honor people involved. I mean, let, let's just start from the beginning. I want you to tell parts of your story, but I want to start here. Writing this book, has this been one of the hardest things you've ever done? Uh, most definitely. Just Friday, I writing it seemed easier than on Friday I spoke the whole thing into an audiobook within 12 hours and that was very challenging you know when you are I was I pretty much dissociated you know while I was reading it which unfortunately you're probably good that, at that yeah that is my absolute superpower it comes with the job um, when you are sharing your story over and over again during speaking engagements podcast it's just what you have to do well, to survive. Well, and I think you had to do that in your childhood to survive, oh, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, then afterwards, you know, it was like this trauma memory overload. And I was like, I hate my book. It's sad. I told, I told my husband, I was like, we shouldn't publish this book. We should just tell the publisher to just stop. Like, don't put it out there. <laughs> there is this kind of feeling of like, it's all out there. Absolutely. And um, we were talking before that my first book that I wrote, 
I shared some things that were hard as well. And I remember the night before, like it went, the night before it was released, which that's too late, by the way. Like it's already in the world the night before. I literally thought, I don't know that I want to do this because I don't want to talk about it. How do you, how do you handle that? Who You have so much trauma from past events. Um, so many hard things have happened. Where do you get that strength to talk about this? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not, blowing smoke up your butt Jamie I'm being for real um I read your book and um I just remember reading it and saying I'm not alone mm. and the sin and the things that have been done to me and the things that I've done and when I have this fear of my book being put out I actually go back and think remember when you read Jamie's book mm. and you felt like you weren't alone because I want, that's what I want. I want kids to read my book and say, okay, I'm not ruined. Mm -hmm. I'm not terrible. I'm not a lost cause. There is hope for me. If there's hope for Tori, then God must be doing something mm -hmm. for me too. Um, and that's where the strength comes from, really. It is the Lord. Um, it is It is God. Well, and I think too, it's this beautiful thing. And you share your story all the time now and you're releasing this book in August. And so you're going to see it even more when we do become vulnerable with sharing our stories, it becomes less about us, hopefully. And it becomes more about like, look how good and kind God is in the midst of these terrible things. And, um, I think one of the things that is hard for people who have walked through hard things like you have is that most of the things that you walk through weren't your choosing. And so I think that makes it a little bit harder. So let's let's talk about your story a little bit. And um, you mentioned earlier the first time you entered the foster care system versus the second time you entered the foster care system. And so tell me a little bit about like growing up. I know you don't remember that first time, but tell me a little bit about your young life that you do remember. So my mom, so I, I do remember the first time I went into the foster care system, I remember it in the way that I remember when I was taken away. Um, it was like uniformed men busted through our door a gun was held to my mom's head and this woman just swept me up and said we're going somewhere mm -hmm. for a little bit and I would go and visit my mom in the human services office and she told me I promise this will never happen again and then I was reunified with my mom and my mom really loved me she loves me now um, and I think that my mom was abused my mom was hurt and hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And she didn't have the resources like we have today. Right. Like now, like our generation screams, like go to therapy. Mm. It's a good thing. And my mom didn't have that. Um, and if anything, I think she actually heard the opposite. There was a lot of shame. Be strong. You don't uh, need any help. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there was even shame. And like if you do need help, mm -hmm. then you're you're not good. Yeah. Like if you're going to therapy, then you must be crazy or psychotic yeah. and kind of pushing those people who mm. went to therapy away. Yeah. Um, so my mom just didn't have that narrative or those resources. And even though she loved me so much and I do think she tried, I remember she told me she went to parenting classes at times. I think she just couldn't overcome mm. her mental illness. You, you said here, you said her, tr this was one point where you talked about your mom's trauma. You said her trauma continued screaming and her fears continued to roll down her face in the form of tears. Her trauma, I think we sometimes forget that, 
was rolling over and affecting your own personal, your own life. Yeah, I mean, she just had all this trauma and I don't think she knew how to overcome it. Mm. Um, I don't think she actually had the capacity to. My mom was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia. Yeah. And so there was just not a, I don't, I don't think she actually can. Mm. And, but there, there was this thing with work. She loved going to work. She was an amazing, she still is a saleswoman. Mm. She sells cars and people hire her today to travel all over to sell their cars in different lots because she's such a good wow. saleswoman. Yeah. Because so I when, know she was selling those vacuums. So yes, when I was growing <laughs> up, she was a curvy saleswoman uh-huh. and she went door to door, but she got in a car accident and that took her out of work. And that put her home all the time. Mm. And when we were together all the time, the abuse and neglect just skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, in sum, sent me into the foster care system. You know, it's interesting um, for those of us, I'll talk about myself, who I've never spent a day in foster care system. I've never been taken away from my parents. Um, So there's that privilege that I'm bringing to this conversation that I want to acknowledge. There's sometimes that we can kind of think of like those people like what kind of mom can't take care of her kid and 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 you know we we think of like oh we have these parents who are uh, you know raising kids in the foster care system so they can get them away from those parents and i i think that there are it's a hard conversation like we said that there's so much nuance is like your mom you could say was doing the best with what she knew how she absolutely was i i feel like my mom Sometimes I feel like because she couldn't show me that she loved me, my mom always told me that she loved me. And yeah, I really, I think if people knew my mom's story, if people mm. knew what my mom went through, they would actually say, wow, she did a really good job. Yeah. Mm, she did the best with what she knew. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's important for us to remember as we think about, you know, we're spending these two weeks talking about foster care and May is Foster Care Awareness Month. And um, just to remember that we're talking about real people with real lives Mm -hmm. who sometimes what they need is someone just to step in, in that moment, um, to take care of them. Um, you know, this book is, I mean, it it reads like a novel. It it just, I can't stop Tori. I just, I'm just going to rave about it. It really does. Um, but some of my, my favorite parts in here are when you talk about, um, things that looking back now as a grown up that you see could have been done differently. And I know you do a lot of work these days of educating, on uh, group homes and situations that where you found yourself in. But you also look back and see things through a different lens, even that you couldn't see as a, as a young adult. What were some of those things that now, as a late 20-year-old, that you didn't quite understand or grasp as like a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, that, that were hard? Like, I'll give you an example of when I was reading your book. One of the things that really struck me was you talk about how and I can't remember who it was, so forgive me, maybe Tanya, Tanya. who had, you'd celebrate Christmas with her. This is a story I was going to tell. Then you go for it. Yeah, that. go for yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. I So when I was taken out of my mom's home the second time, it was a day before Christmas Eve. So Christmas And you Eve never Eve, went back. Remember, I haven't read the last three yeah, chapters. I've never, I was I emancipated out of the foster care system the I day turned that. 18. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So never went back to my mom, but... So Christmas Eve, Eve, we were taken out of our mom's home, me and my sister, who is about nine and a half years younger than me. And they didn't want us to go into the system basically on Christmas Christmas, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, because the foster family likely wouldn't have Christmas presents for us. And they wanted us to spend Christmas um, with someone that 
we knew mm-hmm. and Tanya um, she had actually asked can they just spend Christmas with me and then go into the system um, they said yes and Tanya she was very involved in the church and like overnight we had a million presents under me and my sister had a million presents under the tree and we opened them on Christmas Day and then um, like one hour later I was like can we go return these for different colors and for different things so, so when I excited. read that I was like <laughs> Wow, how would I have handled that situation? Like, no, you're ungrateful. She was an angel. (laughs) She's an angel. Literally. She is. She still is. She is phenomenal. And she just said yes. And she sat in the Walmart return line with me the day after Christmas, which was so long. And she was so patient. And then she just walked with me to pick out different things. And then I got older. And I was like, Tanya, (laughs) why did you let me do that? Like, what a heart of just ungratefulness Mm -hmm. and stinginess and just not reflection of Jesus. And she said, that's just not what that's not what would have communicated love to you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you didn't need, you know, a preaching Mm -hmm. on gratefulness. You needed someone to love you. Mm And um, that's how she's always been. Yeah. And um, her hospitality, her love has really inspired me to live so much, like so much like I do now. There are so many things that vulnerable children who are going through hard places and hard situations um, react out of pain, react out of fear, react out of like feeling unloved or wanting to be accepted. Um and there's a lot of ways that people are trying to step into these children's lives and help them. You write in here about um, some of the like bags that you would get from like great organizations. Quote and, unquote great. Quote unquote great. We use air <laughs> quotes. Um, and I think it's important because a lot of people, they'll listen to all four of these and be like, what can I do? What can I do? Because we're good people and we want to help. Um, and so there are some people like, praise God, who are going to listen to these episodes. I can't even believe it. And they're going to step up to be foster parents. And I mean, the world would be a better place, you know, because they're going to come at it from a, not an idea because they're going to learn from us that we're not stepping into foster care to build our family. We're stepping in to love a child. Um, but talk about how sometimes we miss the mark on helping kids. Yeah, I think that. I think that it's a lot easier for us to look at a kid and say, here's a trip to Disneyland. Here's a duffel bag full of stuff that Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily, you know, specified for you, but I put it together for you. Um, And I think it's really important that we ask the question, are we really doing it, you know, for the child or are we doing it to kind of check off the list are charitable are giving a thing that we have to do as Christians because I think that when oftentimes we can just do the thing um, and not really think about how it's not helpful Mm. because when I was in the system I would get duffel bags that's probably the number one charitable act in terms of the foster care realm Um, because for decades children have been carrying around garbage bags Mm -hmm. um, full of their their stuff stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah they don't have suitcases they don't have book bags 
And I really think we are moving away from that because so many organizations now have taken have picked up the mantle and said, you know, kids aren't we're not going to do that. We're going to do these nice bags, the suitcases. But now kids are it's becoming oversaturated. Kids are getting bags full of suave $1 general shampoo and conditioner when they got mixed girl hair like me and mm-hmm. they can't put that stuff in their hair mm-hmm. unless they want their hair to be damaged. Yeah. Um and so I think really what foster youth need more than anything is to be heard Mm. and to be seen because when I was in the system you know no one listened to me no Mm. one asked me about what I thought about my case and what was going on Um, and I think sometimes we've convinced foster youth that they need a duffel bag Mm. Um, and but really all it's doing is making us feel good yeah. that we've done the mm-hmm. charitable thing and checked it off our list. So what can we do? I think, you know, we can do what you're doing right now. I do think that it's really important that in a world where we listen to foster parents in this community, you know, foster parents have a huge voice. And so it is so one of the most healing things for me has been when a foster parent endorses me and says, I'm going to give Tori the microphone that we're going to listen to her from her perspective. And there are youth, you know, this is my story, Mm -hmm. but there are youth who have very different perspectives than me. My sister would have a very different experience than me in the foster care system. And she is a very different person than me now. And her experience is still just as valuable and meaningful as Mm -hmm. mine. And so I think not just listening to the voices that make us feel comfortable, Mm. but listening to the people who, we should actually listen to the people that make us feel most uncomfortable and ask us, why does that make me feel uncomfortable? When you were young um, and a part of the system, you often felt like people didn't listen to you. Um, You talk about that a lot in here, whether that be a school administrator when reporting something that was happening to someone you loved, whether that be a a court-appointed social worker. We do call them CASA here in Texas, um, CASA workers. Um, Whether that be your caseworkers or your foster parents or whatever, you just often felt unheard. And... I know that's a value for everyone. I can only imagine what it felt like for someone who didn't also feel safe and belonging. And so um, how do foster parents who are listening to this help the kids that are in their home feel seen and heard heard and known and loved? I mean, that's that's what everyone in humanity wants, to be seen, known, safe, loved. One of the most healing things for me, and even one of the most healing things that I've seen with our adopted son is when we tell him or when I heard that I was I was the one that was bringing either different meals into the home like it doesn't have to be like I'm teaching you something deep but maybe you just make the nachos that my mom always made me Mm -hmm. and even if you don't like them you say that you really like them (laughs) and we have them as a family like let your children bring something in let them can contribute and bring something in that was outside Mm. I think that that's just something that it's like, you don't have to be like us. You don't have to do everything like us. You can bring your things in and then it's it's like 
all it's mm-hmm. all of us yeah yeah you um you mentioned earlier that you and i don't know the correct word for this aged out of the system is that yeah. right aged emancipated emancipated that yeah. feels so either, scary emancipated yeah. feels like a scary word i know yeah it does sound scary aged out of the system you could use either word they're 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 the same uh, actually this is very interesting so i don't know if aged out is necessarily a thing anymore yeah because so it used to be when you turned 18 right you got kicked out of the system I did not get kicked out of the foster care system. I chose to leave because I just felt so burned by the system, so hurt. So you I, could have stayed after you were 18. Yes. Yeah, so I was, uh, February 4th is my birthday and everyone knew, all my caseworkers, my foster parents, I had my room packed. Everybody knew that I wanted to leave. And you're a senior in high school? I'm a senior in high school. Uh-huh. I still have a whole semester left, whole track season left, but I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the system. And where were you going to go? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was going to figure it out. Cause I, That's an 18-year-old for you anyway. He's like, I, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'll, I was like, I'll figure it out. I figured so much out thus yeah. far. I'll uh-huh. keep figuring it out. I was a little prideful and unwise, but <laughs> God worked it all out. I'm here now. So, but everyone knew that I wanted to leave. And 12 hours before February 4th, they declared that there was going to be an emergency hearing the next day, an emergency court hearing. So we step into the courtroom. Who's and we? So that's caseworkers. Um, and you had the my, same caseworker for a long time, right? Um, Towards the end. That's yeah, what, okay. I did. My GAL and then I Which also Which is like a CASA a, here in Texas. Yeah. So, yes. So the CASA advocates for what's in the best interest of the child. But then I also have a lawyer who advocates for what I want. So this was interesting because my CASA believed that I should stay in the system. And my lawyer, I wanted out of the system. So my lawyer had to advocate for what I wanted. Wow. Yeah. And then my caseworkers, my mom, and then the judge. So throughout my whole caseload, I had the same judge. And he adored me and I knew that he would also want me to stay in the system to not run wild and yeah. just kind of keep me safe. Yeah. Which makes sense from where I'm sitting. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to yeah. side against no, you, no. but it does make sense. I know. As an adult, <laughs> uh, older adult, I would probably want the same thing for youth who were living in my home. So yeah. I, I get it. But I walked into the Were you in a good home? I was in a good okay, home. Okay, great. Yes. I, haven't I there. loved my foster okay. mom, but I hated the system who was your foster mom at this point Gigi. okay i don't know her yet you don't know her okay, yet. okay carry mm-hmm. on this is so fun She's i feel like doll. i'm like getting behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> so i walk into the courtroom and it's a different judge than i've oh, ever had before no. that so- might be good for you though okay see i'm getting ahead Aaron, my husband gets so <laughs> mad at me he's like jamie just let me tell the story and i'm like oh no what happened okay okay carry on i'm gonna and close so, my mouth <laughs> everyone in my caseload you know they all speak before me and everyone speaks for me because that's how it works in court. Yes. And then I finally get to speak. And I just, it was so dramatic. But I told the judge, I said, if you just let me emancipate, I know I'm going to be better. Because I was so depressed. Mm. I was so sad. I was so isolated because how the foster care system, I was in a very unique case plan called a PPLA. And it's like, I'm pretty sure it's only in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And what it means is that the state has custody of me, but my mom's parental rights have not been Terminated. taken away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means if anything happened to me, the state would be liable. My mom could sue the state. And so I was considered high liability. Which this is what I'm, I'm understanding from the book, which is why you were supposed to not ride with anyone that they didn't know about. You couldn't go to all the fun parties that high schoolers want to go to, whether it's a good party or a bad party, you weren't allowed. So that was the what you're dealing with here. Yeah. So even was, though you love Gigi, 
Love Gigi. You're like, I'm an extrovert. I love people. <laughs> I am, I'm a two on the Enneagram. I am so relational. I love people. And I think that's just been knitted in yeah. me like from the very beginning. And it was like so sad for me mm. to be so isolated. And it's not like I didn't want to leave foster care so I could go run wild. I was never involved in like drugs or alcohol because I'd seen the damage mm -hmm. it did to yeah. my family. Yeah. But I did. I wanted to have friends yeah. and I wanted to be with people. Mm. And that you couldn't. And I couldn't. Okay, Are you going to tell us the end? I got emancipated. Oh. The judge emancipated me that day. And, and then what did you do? Like, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't tell me. I feel like you're giving away the end of the book. This is not the big climax, is it? It's actually not. Okay, this okay. actually isn't the big climax. Okay, then tell us this. Okay, um, so I had a boyfriend and I actually went and lived with him. His dad was a pastor and dad was a little, he was a little crazy pastor. He was a little crazy. <laughs> he um, did a church service at 3 p.m. because he wanted to welcome the people who did, wouldn't wake up in the morning. Okay. That's, which is, that's I awesome, isn't him, it? Yep. Meeting the people where they are. Mm -hmm. And then there was, I talk about that. I tell a story in the book. There was a woman who went to the church and she was in a wheelchair. And he said, everyone pray in tongues. This woman is going to walk today. You know where this is going. Oh, no. Yep. And so we all, you know, everyone, well, I didn't. Everyone starts praying in tongues. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm not praying right now. <laughs> this is crazy. Because I knew it was one of his antics that I'd seen before. And he picks her up and pretty much drags her oh, to the no. altar and goes, this is a miracle. She has walked. And so we got in a lot of theological uh -huh. debates um, because I was a baby Christian. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and baby Christians don't play with <laughs> debates either. <laughs> I'm pretty much still a baby Christian. <laughs> I, I do not play. <laughs> and I was like, you like, I would just be like, I would just call him out. Be like, you dragged that woman down the aisle. Uh -huh. That was not a miracle. And he'd be like, you do not believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we would have these fights. And I was like, I got, I got to leave. I, I got to leave here. And so then I, I moved. I can't go through every place that I moved through while I was bouncing around. Finishing to finish high school. To finish high school in wow. my track season. Wow. But then I started to live with Tanya. And that's what I always wanted. Oh, that is what you always so wanted. So healing. Yes. That would have been so fun for me to read in the book. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> but I loved her in your story. Yeah, I love her too. <sighs> so... Emancipated feels really big, and that word is so big. It feels hard. Did it feel hard for you? And I know you wanted it, so there's that that you wanted it, but there also is just this reality that like you hadn't been at home with your mom since you were when? Um, twelve. Twelve consistently, and probably thirteen, like for a long time. And so, you know, that's five years. And in the book, you talk you 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 went through a lot of trauma and hurt in five years. How does how does someone carry on and go on through their life without having and, and you may have it, maybe I just don't feel it. You don't feel like you have a ton of like anger towards your mom and your mom's rights were never terminated. You know, there's a lot of situations where we're like, well, they were a quote unquote bad parent, they made bad decisions, they couldn't take care of the kid, and so the state terminated their rights and they went into the foster care and then they were adopted and here's their new mom and dad. And that's not your story. How do you not hold a bunch of anger towards someone who is still your mom, not just biologically, but on paper as well? So I lived in a group home 
And I think this is where it started. It started in this group home. I was living with nine other girls. And when I went there, the first day I was like, I don't belong here. I looked at the girls, kind of put my nose up at them. And I was like, these girls are crazy. They have to be on medication. I don't have the issues that they have. And um, just kind of separated myself from them. I was able to have more privileges than them that put me in public school. And I was able to be in sports instead of be at the on-campus school all the time. And so I was actually able to separate myself from them. And then it just was more reason for me to put my nose up at them. And then during the summer, when we all weren't in school, we had to do group therapy. And one of the girls... She started to tell the story about how she was adopted, but then her parents abused her and she had the d- adoption had to be terminated and then she was readopted. And I just felt like this hope in my heart for her. And I was like, oh, just praise God. Like, this is where her story, this is where everything is going to be okay. Not even thinking like she's in this group home with me. Mm-hmm. And then she talked about how her second family trafficked her. Mm-hmm. And she had had a lot of behaviors. She had probably had the most behaviors, um, volatile behaviors in the home. And in that group that day, it was like I saw my mom Mm. in this girl. And it was like, okay, these girls, they're not the problem. They're the solution. And Mm. I need to start listening to their stories because it was like the greater the trauma, the greater behaviors and the greater the empathy that I needed to have. And when I, mm. I could look at my mom that way, that's when my perspective of my mom really began to change. Because I know, I try and not put her story out there too much, but her her trauma, it was egregious mm-hmm. what she went through. Well, you did a good job because you didn't put her trauma out there in the book. I mean, you know, like you, you that that's something that I've been doing some some group I've been doing some group therapy as well which group therapy is no joke I mean it's like it's intense it's intense Mm -hmm. and I kind of went into this group therapy like I should just sit here and wait my turn but like you don't realize how much you grow and heal by feeling empathy for someone else's Mm -hmm. story I mean it's Mm -hmm. amazing yeah um but all that to say group therapy is hard because you're sharing your story but there are other people involved in this story which is hard and so I I do want to just like tell you you did a really good job of uh, I mean there's parts that are really hard to read about your mom um, quite frankly Um, some really hard things to read that you had to endure Um, one of the things that I see in here is this protection that you had of your little sister and um, I know via Instagram uh, that you guys just had some time together and so um, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) explode So great. You talk in here even at one point early on in the book, so I don't remember how old you were, about feeling like you had to save your mom a little bit. Like you felt a lot of responsibility. And and you did in some points. You were put in some very precarious situations as a young child to to stick up and not tell people about what was happening in the realities of your family life. And I'm wondering if you felt the same way about your little sister, like, like you are her protector. So how does it feel now as a grown woman and to have her visit and stuff? Yeah, I still feel like I am her protector. Um, just being almost 10 years older, I do feel that responsibility because, so she's now living with birth mom and um, birth mom works all the time. She's a traveling saleswoman. So my sister's home alone a lot by And herself. I don't want anyone to be confused. This is your mom that you just called birth mom. Birth mom. Yeah. She got lives it, got with it, got bi- it. She lives yeah. with our bio mom. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, she, she doesn't have the support that I wish she had. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I still do feel like I'm her protector and like her person. And, um, when she just came to visit, I just kept remembering that scripture, I will restore what the locusts have eaten. Because when she was, when we were separated, it was unjust Mm -hmm. and it was so corrupt and we were never brought back together because we had different dads and she spent a little bit more time in the foster care system, but then she went to go live with her bio dad and then a father figure that she had. And so we just were never really brought back together and being 10 years apart, I'm in college, Mm -hmm. you know, and she is in I don't even know what grade. She's probably middle little. school. Yeah, she's yeah. So, she's so little. Oh, 10 years apart. She's little, little. She's little. Yeah. And um, like elementary. Yeah. Little, young yeah. elementary, yeah. And so it was just like we were so distanced. And then when we came together, I just felt like I got to know her. And there were some things that were very challenging that like she had to teach me and she had to correct me on. Um, but... I mean, I just wouldn't trade this time of like getting to know her all over again. Like I should have known her mm. when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was so special. It was so special. I love that <laughs> so much. You know, one of the things that, um, that there's this like misconception that some people are foster parents just for the money. It's true sometimes though. And and you talk about that in here a little bit. Um this is a loaded question that we could probably have a whole podcast series about. What are some things that you think we need to see reform in, in the, in the system that's taking care of our kids here in this country? Mm, That is a good question. I would say my heart, the thing that I always say when people ask me this question is we need to change um, the effects around the foster care file so every foster youth has a case file mm-hmm. um, that is given to prospective foster parents and prospective adoptive parents before the children is are placed with the parents. And oftentimes what that file says is all of the worst things that have been mm. done to this child and all the worst things they've done and all of their trauma. And when we think about first impressions with someone those are really hard to redeem like if you think about a first date Mm -hmm. like if you it bombs you're not going to go on the date again if you have a bad job interview you're not going to get hired right and so we're expecting children then children who do not have the capacity of adults like to determine if they want to go on a second date to then establish a relationship with these parents when they already know that they know the worst of the worst things they've ever Mm. done the worst of the worst things that have ever happened to them and we expect these like long-term beautiful relationships to flourish. Yeah. But that's not how relationships work. We can't start with a kid in a hole. We mm. can't start in a hole with relationships because yeah. then it feels like we're constantly digging. And even start by walking into a room and saying, here's all the terrible things about my life. Right. We wouldn't do that in right. a relationship. Right. You and I, you didn't show up here. <laughs> right. And do all yeah. that. Yeah. It's interesting because it is... Like we've said before, it's complex and it's nuanced and it is all of those crazy things. Now, I want to jump a little bit fast forward. Um, you have three kids. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> one of them, your youngest, um, you adopted into your family. Oldest. Oldest. Adopted into our family. Okay. Tell me the whole story then. Okay. Um, my firstborn is a 
three-year-old. His name is Leander. His initials are Leap. Isn't that so cool, Jamie? I love that. <laughs> um, and then I have a... Leander. Leander. Uh-huh. And then I have a one-and-a-half-year-old. Her name is Esri. Mm-hmm. And um, then last year, we adopted a 17-year-old. He's 18 now. Uh, his name is Sar. 17-year-old. Yes. How did you know? I mean, you can tell me as much as you want and as much as, okay, so you just you say whatever you want. Yeah. But out of the foster care system, I'm assuming 17. So he has the strange immigration status that made him hide um, from being involved in the government. Um, so he actually came to us basically through a church because the church knew that we were certified foster parents. And they said, there is this young man and he's scared from, of going into foster care because of these reasons. And so he came to us um, and he stayed with us. And then we, yeah. Then we and then you adopted him. him. Yeah, then we adopted him. Yeah, because he asked to be adopted and we loved him. And I kind of wanted to adopt him, but I wanted it to be his choice. Uh-huh. No, I kinda, he's old. I did, I mean, yeah. did want to adopt him. I didn't kind of want to. Yeah. I did want to adopt him, but I wanted it to be his choice because he's older and there are some adoptees that they will say they don't, they didn't want to be adopted. And so I never wanted to yeah, yeah. pressure him or f- make him feel like I was his savior mm-hmm. or um, like we were the people who were coming in to yeah, yeah. resurrect his story. Because exactly. his story was already resurrected yeah. because of what God did for him. And he knows Jesus. So, yeah. I love that. So you, um, you have this book, Foster. It comes out in August. You guys, you can pre-order it right now wherever you get books. Um, and you travel and speak and and help people out. What do you, what is your goal? What's your goal in all of this? Of like really saying, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share some of the deepest, hardest places of my life. What is your goal in that? My goal is I want people to see that their identities can be rewritten, no matter what they've done or no matter what's been done to them. I want people to see that they are beloved children of God, even if they've moved to a million homes um, and they've been told you're not adoptable, Mm. you're not wanted. I want them to see that even though that's what people have told them on earth, that there's a God who has, you know, the voice that trumps all other voices that says, I've adopted you, Mm. you are my child. And just because someone doesn't let you in their home, it doesn't really matter because I've let you into a kingdom. Wow. Like, just because a person like doesn't take you in, that doesn't mean you're not still an heir of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so powerful, the truth of what God speaks over his children. Mm-hmm. And that is what has been the most healing for me because still to this day, I will get in this headspace where I'm just like, I'm not loved, I'm not wanted. I've been thrown away so many times. It must be because there's something wrong with me. But every time I go back to the truth of what God speaks over me, that I am a victor and not a victim, that I'm not an orphan, but a daughter, it just, it's so healing. And it doesn't, it doesn't cover, cover everything up. It's not like a bandaid. It's really like a salve that heals everything Mm. over just this slow period of time. And I don't know if I'll ever completely be healed. I don't know if those uh, voices or those whispers of the abusers will ever go away, but it gives me hope in those times where I know, I absolutely know 
who I am and what God says about me, I'm just like so hopeful for what heaven's going to be like. I love it. That is the good <laughs> news for all of us, you know, and that's the same for me. It's the same for everyone who's listening. We have these ideals in our head that say, you're not enough. You're not wanted. You're not loved. You had this physical manifesta- manifestation of that actually happening to you, of moving from home to home and home and situation. But this is happening to all of us all the time because of sin, because of brokenness, because of what happened in the garden. And we do serve a good, kind God who is like, I've given you a new name and a new identity and a new hope. Um, Tori, I just, I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> And <laughs> Jamie, I'm a big fan of yours. I love you. Well, I'm just so grateful. I think this is a needed conversation and book. And it feels weird. I'm going to be honest with you. It feels weird like saying like, everyone go get read this book because it does read like a novel. And, and I, I'm sitting here telling you that, but this is your life. This is your, like, sometimes I'm like, I cannot believe, like literally in the book, I have to show you this. I literally wrote, what? <laughs> like, this is how I write <laughs> in the side of books. I literally was like, what? Um, that was when you got taken off in handcuffs to the juvenile detention center for like 18 days mm-hmm. because you were defending yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, this is why it feels weird to tell everyone that this is a book you should read because it's so like exciting, but that's terrible to say <laughs> because I'm sitting next to you and like, this is your story. It's almost like saying everyone go read Anne Frank's story because it's so good. You're never going to believe it. And you're like, wait, that was terrible. Oh, listen, listen, listen. When we do you understand what yes, I'm saying? I get what you're saying, but at the same time, another another goal I would say of this book is to show people what happens when we see people differently. I love it. And when we like look at Anne Frank's story, we don't see her as a victim, right? Even though she obviously like went through some of the most adverse things that none of us no can one understand, ever, uh-huh. and we never will go through. We will never go through that. But we see people differently and we connect with God differently. We see God differently because of Anne Frank's story. And so that's why stories change the world. <laughs> I'm serious. Stories matter. Stories change the world because they create they create something in us that we would not have had created had I not read your story. Thank and you, so Jamie. thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Um, tonight you'll find me about my bathtub reading the last four <laughs> chapters. <laughs> and then I'll text you and be like, I know how it ends. It's crazy. We we didn't even talk about how it ends. It, no, this but, is a real you, cliff. Do you want me to do you want to talk about it? Because if you no. talk about it, you're gonna be telling me something I don't know. I, I do not want to spoil it for you. I mean, I see you sitting here, you're married, you have three kids, you said you went to college. Did you run track in college? Mm-hmm. <gasps> Where'd you go? Hillsdale College. It's in uh, Michigan. And you ran what? I ran the 100 and 200. That's what I ran in high school. And then the 400, which is what you ran, right? I ran the 400. <laughs> yes, that got added in college. So I ran the 400 and the 4x4 four four mm-hmm. in high school. I did not go run track in college. It's probably, I don't really live life with regrets. Like, I think that's kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Although, had when I was in high school, had I had a really great coach and a really great mentor, and I wouldn't have drank so much and had sex with so many boys, I probably would have been in college <laughs> running track. Listen, when you read this book, when you read the finish, you're going to be able to identify with it a lot. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. So I kind of sometimes wish I would have ran track college. But anyhow, I I must tell you this. The listeners know this. I did run in the Junior Olympics. Hey. And when you. Hey. Lindsay's laughing in the other room because it's not a month if I can't slide (laughs) that. I'll show you my medals before you leave the office. I love it. Yes. Can I wear one? They're in a medal. They're in a picture frame. We can't take them out. Shucks. (laughs) <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Tori, just just so excited. You guys, one thing you need to do is go follow her on Instagram. Tell everyone your Instagram handle. 
Tori Hope Peterson, and Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. It's just your straight up whole name, Tori, Tori Hope, Peterson. Hope Peterson. That's you. My follow straight up whole name. Yeah, yes. your straight up whole name. Um, follow you on Instagram because you can learn a lot. And I mean, I'll just do this. I don't know if you do this, but if there's like foster organizations that want to bring people in to do trainings, you do that, right? Yes. Bring her in. Yes. Yep, you can go onto my website and I do consultations. Go book a consultation. Wait, you don't give out advice for for free, Tori? Jamie, (laughs) I was for a really long time. And then someone said, what are you actually doing? Yep, and then someone, another former foster youth and adoptee educated me and said, when you're giving, this was actually, Jamie, this was monumental for me. She said, when you are giving free advice, it makes the rest of us like, look bad that we're asking for pay and at the same time like you actually deserve to be paid because you're an expert and i was like we pay well experts. i'm not trying to make us look bad so. we pay experts and i and i want us all to be seen our voices to be seen as valid and that's that's part of it i love it so much um okay i'd love to know what you're loving these days and what you're reading Okay, frownies. Do you know what frownies are? I don't. I need you to tell me. Listen, I have them in my car. I'm going to bring them in and show you. But they are these things. You put them on your face. Okay. We all know what Botox. Oh, I would. I thought. We all okay. know what Botox. Yeah, is, but I right? want to tell you where I thought you were going. Okay. I thought this was some form of brownies. <laughs> <laughs> then you said you had them like in your car. Like sad brownies. I didn't know. I thought it was like you know it's like a Friday night. You're supposed to be out on a date, but you got dumped, so you eat frownies. <gasps> no, no. <laughs> So Someone could do that, though. They are these, okay, Botox. So, like, I was thinking about getting Botox. You're 26 years old. I know, but one of my really good friends got it, and she's younger than me, and she said it was preventative. And I was like, she's like, it's, she said it was going to prevent wrinkles. And okay. I was like, okay. But then I started. I've thought about it. I look. started Googling, and it started freaking me out. The Botox? Because I guess it's, like, toxic. That's part of the name, Tox. Who knew? Okay. And so then I was like, okay, natural Botox alternatives. And I found frownies, which are these things. You slap them on your face and they you sleep with them and so that you don't uh-huh. do this. Yes. And then you're training your muscles to chill out so that you don't make all these crazy facial expressions so that you don't get all these wrinkles. Oh, my gosh. Frownies. And uh, I love my shoes. Wait, Tom, before you go to shoes, I'm going to say, I'm about to get me some frownies. Yes. My husband is going to be like, where did my wife go? Because I already sleep with a sleep mask. Okay, <laughs> so I'm gonna have my sleep mask on and my frownies on, and you gotta get you a bonnet, girl. We gotta get you a bonnet. <laughs> my daughter has bonnets, yes. and then I'll be like, well, "Who?" Your husband's gonna be like, "What is happening?" Well, I have started. Someone told me to spray um, dry shampoo, which I use in the morning all the time. But they're like, spray it at night, right before you go to bed. So now I'm coming. I'm gonna be in bed with my eye mask on. My frownies and my my white hair up here because it's full of a uh, dry shampoo. So anyhow, thank you for that. You're okay, welcome. tell me about your shoes. Um, I don't know how to quite pronounce it, but it's V A I A. The Via. Okay, yeah. why do you love them? Well, they're sustainable, so they don't exploit people. Okay. And they are actually really comfortable. They're kind of like knit. They're like mm. knitted on the outside. Do you have socks on with those? No. Oh, and your feet don't stink. Nope. That's the thing. That's what you and I bet you can throw them in the wash. Yep. There yeah, you go. They're super nice. Okay, what else? I am watching a show called Life After Death. Okay. With Tyler Henry. Don't know who he is. I don't know how Christians feel about this, Jamie. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> okay. He is, he refers to himself as a medium. Oh, I think they so, feel badly. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so mediums can claim to per, to connect with the dead, and then they can communicate to you what the dead is saying. This stresses so me real this out. This is the show 
stresses me out. Like I cry and I freak out, but yeah. I love it. I don't know why. Yeah. So he goes and he meets these people. He ha- knows nothing. He does not know the people that he's going to meet with. He has no former knowledge. And he just like sits there and does the scribbling thing on a pad. And then he's like, they're coming. They're connecting. And then he starts telling these people like crazy details about like things that this he could not have out. known. It is crazy. How do you know he didn't know? It's a TV show. I guess I don't. You trust. I trust. Yeah. You I like, probably trust a little too much. You like that show. Like I used to love, 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 love Sister Wives. <laughs> Me too. TLC was my channel growing up. Sister Wives was the jam, Mm -hmm. and I fully disagree with the fact that a boy has four wives, Uh, but I couldn't stop watching it. But it's amusing. But it's so amusing. (laughs) It's so entertaining, Um, which I caught it recently in a hotel, and it's it's not happy on the farm right now with the Sister Wives. I know. It's kind of sad. We can say a prayer for them. Yeah, we can. Okay, what are you reading? (laughs) I am reading Find Your People by Jenny Allen, which has been super encouraging because in this world of like women speaking in the church i am in a very rural small town and i just feel really alone a Mm. lot like i don't know quite how to find my people um and it just gives me hope that i'm gonna find my people like they're coming and i'm just waiting and praying that there's gonna be people who come and understand this world that we're in yep um, and then I just got done reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'm about and to I, start it. I needed that book so bad, Jamie. Okay. It was so convicting, but I am not quite at sure on how to apply the things mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. I'm getting I'm getting there. I hope that I get there because yeah. all that he writes about mm, it's just so good. So good. E- we all of us need it. Yeah, yeah. Like, everyone needs to read that book. Uh, Lindsay, who runs our office here and runs Ivy Media, um, she bought it for everyone on the team. It's like, hey guys, we're having a book club. Oh, good job, Lindsay. I know, right? So mm-hmm. we uh, we actually have our first gathering next Monday. She might be trying to tell you something, Jamie. Right? She might be trying to tell you something. <laughs> I think it's like a sneak attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a very graceful attack. Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> Well, she read it and loved it. And, you know, we had him on the show, and I had never read any of his work before. And so I haven't read this one. And so when he came on, it was on a most recent project, which the book title is escaping my mind right now. But really great communicator. Mm -hmm. Really loved. I read that book and loved it, um, his most recent one. So really great. So anyhow, Tori Hope Peterson. Thanks for coming on. I'm really proud of you, and I can say that because I'm – older than you i'm really proud of you and i'm just grateful for for your willingness to step into some hard spaces and hard conversations and i think that we as a church are better because of leaders like you so thank you you're so sweet thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to the happy hour with jamie ivy podcast We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you, and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. 
And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics are by Amaya Savoy Easton. The show is edited by Angie Elkins. And I'm your host every week, Jamie Ivey. And goodness gracious, I love being here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com.